Many Christian parents don't like the idea of a youth group at church. After all, isn't that where the kids get into all kinds of trouble? Isn't that where all the bad stuff happens? I mean, there are girls there, right? Well, hold your horses. We think youth groups, or whatever you want to call them, are good and necessary. We'll get into that in a minute, but before we get started, I need to remind you about the helpful marriage conference at the beautiful Indiana Landmark Center in Indianapolis on March 4th and 5th. Tim and Mary Lee have been married for 45 years, and along the way, they have learned a lot about what makes for a good marriage. And so Pastor Bailey will be teaching from his wealth of experience on Friday and Saturday. But this event isn't just going to be teaching. We have planned the whole event as a weekend getaway for you and your wife. So aside from the great teaching, we have rented a game room at the Fountain Square Theater for fun and fellowship on Friday night, and on Saturday we'll enjoy a fantastic catered lunch. So check out HelpfulMarriage.com and register today. All right, the conversation today is with Max Corral and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. What should parents expect from their church as they shepherd their children through the teenage years? We need help. I mean, we need help. Everyone needs help as they shepherd their their children into adulthood. And so what should parents expect from their church? They should expect that the church believes in sin and further believes in the power of God over sin. Then there is an actual awareness on the part of the church and on the parents toward the church, an expectation that the church is actually going to be honest with them in what's coming and what's happening in the lives of their children, as they ought to be honest with them in what's and what's happening in the lives of the parents. Hmm. And I, growing up, I remember that at the time I was growing up in the evangelical church, it's worse today. But at the time I was growing up in the evangelical church, if a young man was in his teenage years and everybody knew he was tempted, tempted with same-sex intimacy, yeah, how was that handled? I don't know. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> he went over to the girls' houses and he helped them do their hair, and he was, and all the boys knew that he was that way he was that way and 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 they might tease him at school mm-hmm, at the public mm-hmm. school and he might do this or that but the church never said boo the church didn't recognize didn't do anything mm. to deal with the fact that this young man had to have help in negotiating his sex mm. and so they wouldn't recognize it mm. there was sin they would they wouldn't acknowledge that sin they just wanted to look the other way mm. And there was the power of God for him that they weren't ready to provide for him and help him in any way. They wouldn't speak. You know, one of my favorite passages in Romans, Paul says, we believe, therefore we speak. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know if it's right to apply it to this, what I'm saying right now, but I just think generally speaking, that is such an incredible thing because when you believe something, you say it. Yeah, that's right. You'll actually out and say it. Yep. And so if parents just would have churches who would say, yep, we believe in sin, we, we, and, we, we're not, and we're not afraid of it because God has given us power over sin. You said that twice, we believe in sin, and I, f- I feel like that's almost a catchphrase. It needs, it needs opening up. I mean, doesn't, doesn't everybody believe in sin? I mean, sin is real. What do you mean when you say you believe in sin? 
I think when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about depravity. Okay. Depravity. A quote I read recently by Charles Spurgeon, he's talking about people who believe that they have achieved some level of perfection. Mm. I'd say there's like three places you can be. You can believe that you don't sin. You can believe that you do sin, but that God doesn't care. Mm. Or you can believe that you do sin and God cares. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And so he's talking about people who don't believe they sin. Yeah. And he says, I don't want to excuse myself by saying I cannot be perfect. He says, I know and feel that my inability is my sin. Huh. And he's really saying depravity. Yep. Yep. That's I am right. depraved. I am depraved right down to the the marrow, and my inability is my sin. And so when I say they believe in sin, I'm talking about an acknowledgement, not somebody arguing with you and saying, no, I, you know, I, I believe I have something that, I, that, that actually I can present to God that, you know, that promotes me to him, I, or somebody saying, I'm, I've gotten to a perfect state. And lots of people think that. Or somebody who says God doesn't really care that much. Because again, in all three of those situations, what's true is sin is depreciated. Mm. Sin is depreciated. The reality of it, the horror of it, mm-hmm. the the uh, wickedness, the awful wickedness of it is completely depreciated mm. in all three of those cases, in all those ways. Mm-hmm. But when somebody says, no, sin is horrible. Mm. It is it is an offense to God, and it's down to the core, and it, and it's reflected in our very inability. You know, when when I read that from him, I thought about the passage. Is it in First Peter? I think where it says he made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf. And I never, I have often marveled as I've read that about the construction of the word, the ways it's said. He had no sin and he made him, he didn't say he made him to have sin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It says he made him to be sin. Mm. And in reality, we are sin. Mm -hmm. It's, It's in us right down to the core. In the conservative church today, there is no sin. There is no fall. There is no original sin. There's no depravity. There's no self critical capacity. There's no fear of God. Everything is light, 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 grace, 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 grace. That is what the church is today. It is the unbearable lightness of being. It is the light princess by George MacDonald. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what we mean when we say, see what you see. Mm. Plead with God. If your goal is to be as light as everyone else who tells you what a good job they're doing and how good their children are and what a wonderful godly husband you have, if you're trying to attain to a level of superficiality and lightness like all the people that are part of your homeschool co-op, yeah, God forbid he may allow you. He may go ahead and let you be as superficial and light and incapable of self-criticism, incapable of the fear of God, trying to protect your children from fearing God. Hmm. 
I mean, isn't that what the church is today? That's what the church is. And it doesn't matter whether the, the theology is conservative. It doesn't matter whether it's Arminian or Reformed. Yeah. To the Reformed people, grace, 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 grace is exactly equivalent to the perfectionism of a Wesleyan church. Mm. Both of them cannot tolerate sin. But if you're going to see yourself, your husband, and your children the way they really are, the thing that will overwhelm you is the, the pervasiveness of sin in their lives. So you say that, and then I think, okay, what happens when sin appears in that kind of a context? Which kind? Well, in, you said that the um, grace, 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 and the, the Wesleyan are basically the same. Mm -hmm. But So what happens when sin does actually appear? What I, what I think often happens is it's either brushed aside to say, oh, no, it really wasn't sin, it wasn't really that bad, or it's like, you're out of there, there's no, you're yeah. just gone. You did, you, you and, said it exactly right, that's right. And, okay, well then, what we're arguing for here is a kind of realization that there is this... Uh, excluded middle. Excluded middle, that's right, this excluded mm -hmm. middle of real life where we don't have to lie to each other and we don't have to excommunicate a teenager who we find out is, well, again, I don't know how to do this exactly, but who's like st smoking dope, right? Or maybe he uh, is sleeping with his girlfriend and you, you find out and it's like, what do you do then? What do you do then? Um, it's when, okay as long as she doesn't get pregnant. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, you laugh, but that's the way it was when I was growing up. Yeah. It yeah. was, there were things that you were allowed to do mm -hmm. and they weren't sin until they hit a certain uh, marker. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't sin to fornicate. It wasn't sin to sit in your parents' couch and just suck the face off of the other person <laughs> for hours and hours. That Pet, wasn't sin. Petting under the blanket. But yeah. that's not sin. It's, it's sin if somebody got pregnant mm -hmm. because that was okay. So, and it's a strange thing because it's really all about appearance in the end. And so if you have a mother that's listening to and reading erotic novels, you have a father who's looking at naked flesh, then you're going to sext. If your parents discover you're sexting, then they will have a hissy fit. Mm. But then the question is, why are they having a hissy fit? What they ought to be doing is beating their chest over the ways that their sin has made their daughter vulnerable to sexting. Mm. Okay, that's what they should be doing. But instead, what almost always will happen is they'll go to the pastors or the youth pastor or to another parent in the church, maybe somebody in the homeschool co-op, maybe somebody at their classical Christians. Do you know what I got my daughter doing? She did this. Oh, no, what are you going to do? Well, I'm, we have to wait until my husband gets home from his business trip, but then we're going to. And, you know, I have been talking to her and did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. Well, There's no thought of repentance now i know they would say oh no that's that's the whole context the whole context is repentance i tell you having watched many of these situations mm. that there is a chasm between parents who recognize the sinfulness that they have in themselves and that is in their children and parents who are aiming at having children who are copacetic children who are well-behaved, children who are good-mannered, children who know the value of what is true and right and beautiful. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You cannot aim at children who present well and raise children who fear God. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. Your goal is either what other people think of you or what God sees in you. So, and those two are absolutely, and all through the Old Testament, it says, do not fear the gods of the nations. You must not be afraid. It is a command. And yet you look at much of the conservative Reformed church, and it's just filled with fear of what other people think of you and whether you're doing it right and whether you listen to the right podcasts and this, that, and the other thing, and whether you read the right books and whether they're going to go to the right college and on and on and on. And the oppression of that over our children is awful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so what we say a lot around here is that pastor has the privilege of introducing people to themselves. And mm-hmm. what I hear you saying is that that's what we're doing. That's just what we're doing with parents, with teenagers. We're trying to help them understand who that that is what they, to answer the initial question, that is what we want, we think parents of teenagers should expect from their pastors to really keep doing the things that they're supposed to be doing anyway, which is introducing them to themselves, and in a sense, introducing the teenagers to themselves and the teenagers to the parents and vice versa. And to protect the teenagers from their parents' desire to control them for the sake of their image. Mm, I mean, honestly, it's perpetual. And so earlier when David, when Max was saying, you know, we believe in God having power over sin. You said it twice. And I was sitting here thinking, yes. And how? Well, the way God has power over sin is that he snaps his fingers and it is gone. Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah, no. His power over sin is the pastor and the youth director who come to the parents and say, I've seen this in your daughter, and I see this in you. And those parents say, this is the power of God over sin. Well, no. Actually, when you were going to say something earlier from Romans, I was thinking you were going to say, have I become your Mm -hmm. enemy by telling you the truth? Mm -hmm. And so when you ask, what should parents expect from the church? (laughs) here's my response parents should expect from the church wounds and rebukes and admonishments and exhortations that infuriate them (laughs) because those pastors and their wives are pertinacious and if you don't know the word you should you should you should look it up Mm -hmm. they don't give in And if you've left a church because the pastors and elders and their wives were pertinacious with you in pointing out your sin, then you are opposed to the power of God over sin. Because as Calvin said, if God wanted to, he could have sent angels to preach to us, but he sent fallen men. And that's to humble us so that we are willing to feed out of the hands of our inferiors. And how many times with our teenagers do we have some nincompoop couple that works with our children and don't have any teenagers yet just little toddlers and they come to us and talk to us about character of our children we see oh you don't know my son as well as i know my son mm. you know in other words what parents should expect from the church is that these children individuating are a perfect 
uh, excuse for the church to revisit their sins, which now are visible to everyone through their children. That's what they should expect from the church. That's a design feature. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Well, it is fun if you know yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, even if you know yourself, it's not fun for a few seconds, a few minutes, maybe a day or two. Yeah. No but discipline you, is pleasant at the time. No, yeah, 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 that's good. That's right. But, you know, I think of a couple of families in our church. And in both cases, these families faced a decision whether or not they were going to be at our church or move someplace else. And let me tell you, in both of the cases, the families had really sweet deals someplace mm -hmm. else. The fathers, their jobs. Mm -hmm. And both of them made it very clear to their wives and their children, no, we need to raise our children at Trinity Reform Church. We have to do that. This is absolutely imperative that you have a church which will meddle in your marriage and your child-rearing of your other children when they see the evidence that presents itself to them through your teenager and your junior high school student. Hmm. I can't emphasize that enough. God does not deal with us directly. He is ordained for us to need preachers to believe the gospel to need fathers and mothers in the church who will pray for us and give us instruction and exhortations as we raise our children, who will evidence character traits that are good, that we lack to our children, so they may have some character traits that are good that their mama and dad didn't have because they learned it from somebody else in the church. Mm. But what, what if you have a kid in the youth group who just, I mean, the youth leader just hates him. He just doesn't like him and just has it in for him. Oh my! It just can't stand the kid. And well, and that's a whole, that's a whole different story. But it's you're talking about precious, my precious, my precious, my precious. And in the end, you're both going to fall into the lava. <laughs> well, okay. So as a pastor, you will always have people that work with the youth group who have an issue with you as the pastor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they will tend to not like your children. So what? I remember one guy who had an issue with me coming home from a retreat or mission trip and taking me privately and explaining to me all the character defects of my son. Mm -hmm. And as I listened, I had the presence of mind to to think as as I heard his enumeration to think about half of them are right and about half of them are wrong. Mm. And so, of course, being a godly pastor, selfless, <laughs> wonderful, yeah. discerning, deep, wise. And good looking. And good looking and fat. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at him and I said, well, I want you to know that you're wrong here, 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 and here. Mm. But the other things I think you're right on. But of course, that's not what I did. I went out into the hallway. I found my son. I brought him into the room. And I said to the youth leader, would you please tell him everything you just said to me? I never indicated in any way disagreement on any level with what the other man said, even though it was obvious to me the other man had an issue with me that was clouding his judgment with my son. Mm. 
Okay. okay. Didn't breathe a word of it. Then my son came in and he repeated to my son both the correct things and the mistakes. Oh, come on. Pastors have people in the church they don't like. Mm-hmm. Do you not know this? No, I know this. Oh, so you too. So you have people in the church you don't <laughs> like. Come on. Tell us the truth. Come on. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. And every mother has daughters she gets along with more easily than other daughters. Oh, yeah. Uh And every father, I mean, we're not talking favorites. We're talking about blemishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so, come on, grow up, you know? This happens in life. Some people are pills. Yeah, and it's but it's not just that. It's I think what Lucas was getting at originally was mothers or fathers who in today in this age i i always i tell people well in my growing up something happened after i went through youth that changed the entire sea because when i was growing up it was like everybody was like you with your son and that youth pastor my dad looked at me i knew there was a universal Mm -hmm. conspiracy uh, among everyone around me christians (laughs) or non-christians it didn't matter there was a universal conspiracy to drive the foolishness of youth out of me right that was and there was no breaking ranks that was the the way exactly that was the way the earth the world was ordered when i was growing up Mm. and what we've had in the spirit of this age now Mm. is a complete reversal of that and so now everybody works to accommodate the protection of the children's foolishness hmm. rather than working together to drive it out. Everybody works together to protect it. And what that what ends up happening is all authority gets gets constantly bashed in the head. And so you go back to the youth pastor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, the youth pastor doesn't like my child. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he's telling my child that that's not acceptable, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. If that would have been my dad, <laughs> my dad, you know what I'm saying? It was like completely it, different. It would not have even crossed when, his mind. When my yeah. dad told me that if I ever got spanked at school, and that was when they spanked you at school, when he told me that if I ever got spanked at school, I would I would realize a multifold spanking when I got home. Huh. If I ever got spanked at school, I didn't have any question as to the sincerity of his statement. <laughs> and when I got one time, Mister Foot, the principal, yeah, said, "You got a choice." A week in at recess, or I'll give you spankings right now with the board. Do you know which one I took? <laughs> you didn't the go to recess. The spankings would have been ever so much easier mm-hmm. and out of the way like that. But oh no, I remembered what my father said. Listen, I want to go back to your question about if a youth pastor, a youth leader, and yes, we have our pastor ordained to pastoral ministry leads our youth group. And I'm not going to go into why that's the case. I believe in youth groups, and I believe in using those years. We're, we're going to get to that okay. next before right. we end. Okay. I don't know how to get this across to parents, but if all of us were to look at you and evaluate you as a mother, you would fail. You would fail. We would have an endless number of things that we see you aren't doing right. Okay. Yep. And if you were to look at me as a father and grade me with a jury of my peers, 
I would fail. Mm. And you would have a long list, and my wife would agree with it. Now, what's my point? Well, my point is that there is no position in leadership held by anybody but a sinner who fails. None. That's why Calvin says if God wanted, he would have sent angels to preach to us. And so if you have a standard for authority of a mother or a father, the the authority of a youth leader, Mm. that does not involve them hurting your children and disliking them, Mm. you don't have a clue. Guess what? Your little Johnny, your little... Samantha, or whatever the name is you give your child that has as much dignity as you would like your child to have, if your little precious little one is rude, is Mm -hmm, self-centered, okay, thinks, is a flirt, thinks that he's, guess what? You might have raised children who are easily to dislike. And if your youth pastor reciprocates and then you resent your youth pastor because he's not as precious with your child as you are, Mm. I mean, that's doubling down on your idiocy. Yeah. And so we have to have lower standards for the authorities. This is why David told the stories he just told. If we break ranks with the authorities in our children's life, then we get what we deserve, which is exactly sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. Mm. God has not sent any authority who is good. You know, people are having hissy fits about Donald Trump's sex life and his profanity and stuff. Are you serious? Did anybody actually look at the Bush presidents and think through, for instance, how the elder Bush had a wife who was pro-abortion and they were so clean. Yeah. I mean, come on. The fact is leaders are sinners and some sin loudly and some sin very quietly like Barack Obama. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not saying that everybody's the same and nobody's different and everybody's, you know, the the same level. But my point is, yes, you're going to have youth leaders who work with your children and make mistakes about them. But if you will trust God to work through them with your children. Now, if the mistakes they make with your children is that they start uh, sort of resting their hand on the thigh of your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) go to the pastors, have a meeting, call the parents together, tell them why the youth pastor is no longer in his position. Okay? Yeah. In other words, I'm not saying that this is true of all sins against your children, but most of the sins are sins of not doing it the way you do it. Well, isn't that the whole point of becoming an adult? All of a sudden, you're surrounded by authorities that don't lead your children the way you did. They're not as precious with your children as the way you were. Guess what? They don't really care if your child cries. Well, and that's what you want. You absolutely have to have it. I mean, this is the help. We said earlier in this podcast that we have to have help. If you don't know that you need help with your high school kids, your teenage kids, then you will eventually, unless you're a complete idiot. Yeah. Cover over the mistakes of your youth leaders and youth pastors. Mm. Seek to get good people in as couples. Have them bring their children with them so that so that kids in high school are playing with the kids. Try to keep 
the high school kids from separating into couples. Try to have a no-couple policy in your high school. I mean, they may, they may know that somebody's sweet on somebody, but don't have – try to create an environment where we can help our children in those final years before – they themselves go off to college, get married, and have children. So you said you've brought up a few times that you are in favor of youth groups. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk about that for a minute? Why, why do you bring that up so much? Well, because of the family-centered church movement, which I think should be called the church-centered family movement. Well, so what is the family-centered church movement family trying cen- to reclaim, and why is it so bad? Well, the family-centered so church movement is trying to reclaim care for children that is integrated into the authority of the father and mother. And so they have seen the increasing professionalization of youth ministry, the increasing uh, decadence of youth ministry, youth specialties. I worked Mm. for them in California. I knew Wayne and Denny and Mike and all the guys. And it's like the lowest common denominator prevails. All you do is have fun. You take slides on the youth trip. You're, you, the bus going on the trip it has couples in every seat, and they're all petting and making out. Mm. It's just like, take our kids off our hands. We don't know how to deal with this age, the parents say. And so they go to a mega church, and that's what they do. They take them off their hands. Yeah. Well, a lot of these parents grew up in churches like that, and they know the horrors of sexual immorality, of cliques, of selfishness, of, of dope, of, of drugs, of alcohol, of pornography, of just everything. Mm -hmm. And so they say, no, 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 no. We're not going to have this happen to our children. We are going to protect our children. We are going to do things right. Now, that's honorable. They have seen that things were done wrong. Mm -hmm. But inevitably, we, when we correct one mistake, flip out in the other direction and make mistakes equally bad on the other direction. Mm -hmm. And so the family-centered movement really is a movement that is opposed to the authority of the church over the home. Hmm. I'm going to say that it's that clear to me. And I've known people in the movement. uh, I'm not going to rub your noses in some of the horrors in that movement by putting in the home all of the focus and having nobody in the church able to say no to fathers. Hmm. But it's been horrible. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) trust me. Um. And so the family-centered movement is an attempt to deal with the professionalization and the uh, the take our kids off our hands. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, it's mm-hmm. similar to the classical Christian school and homeschool co-op movement trying to address the failures of the public school. Right, right. So its goal is laudable. Yeah. The problem is, you as your children reach adulthood are not the solution to their problems anymore, okay? Mm. You have had your years, and now, inevitably, other adults are gonna take over, unless you live out in the boonies of Alaska, and you can somehow obstruct their departure to visit the cabin next door that has (laughs) a teenage girl. Yeah. Okay, in other words, God, again, It's a feature. It's not a failure of design that God has designed us to propagate a godly seed, and therefore we individuate, and he leaves and cleaves to his wife. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So assuming that that's the premise, doesn't it make sense that there's a period of time where there is a growth on the part of other adults having authority and access to your children? Because soon you will not have them. Yeah, that's right. And so that is ordained by God to be a period of transition. Sexuality doesn't come instantly. Yeah. And all of a sudden changes, you know, happen. And everybody all of a sudden has to ha- find a new way of relating, a new way of living, a new new concerns, new things to watch out for. And during that period of time, it's no surprise that those kids who are all going through that period of time at the same time talk to each other. You can't help it. Kids have always talked to each other when they individuate, take on sexuality. Part of the reason for that is they're now interested in women, and women are interested in men, and this is how they process it. The girls talk to each other about this guy and that guy, and the guys talk about this girl and that girl. Mm -hmm. And so it's natural that they say to one another the things they wouldn't say to their mother or father. Mm -hmm. And by that, I don't mean obscenities or or guttural talk. I just mean, well, I think he's cute. Well, they wouldn't say that to their mother. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't say that to their father unless he said, I've seen you looking at John and, and it seems like you have something for him. She says, well, I think he's cute. Yeah. But look, the fact is we all heard. Yeah. We heard by denominations. Yep. We heard by social class. We heard by educational level attained. We heard by whether or not we hunt. We heard by our beer preferences. We heard by our insane commitment to this as opposed to that homeschool curriculum. Mm-hmm. We heard by the trivium. We heard and heard and heard and heard. Would there be some reason to think that our children as they reach adulthood won't hurt? That's a youth group. Yeah. And you can fight it and try to keep them home as long as you possibly can and then have the break be instantaneous. But that's not how God has handled the maturation of the human species. And so it is natural for mothers, when their kids are toddlers, to have a play group. Yeah. The mothers heard. Yeah. As their children heard. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm in a family-centered church. We don't have play groups. We don't have our little toddlers playing with each other. Their mother's enough. They get in, they get into real trouble when they when they play with each other, those toddlers. They, yeah, they yeah. hit each other on the head. And, and the same thing is true of primary ages. The same thing is true of junior high. The same thing is true of high school. The same thing is true of college. Why do people spend forty dollars to $50,000 a year sending their children to Wheaton? It's the herd instinct. That's where they went to school. They know they're good people. And so they want their children to marry the child of other good people that also graduated from Wheaton. I mean, I was at a church with Mary Lee out in, out in the state of Washington, and what they did was they had dances. And, you know, they were a family-centered church, and they all had 15, 20 children, and they all had 25 passenger vans. And... <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what this church was, you yeah, know? Okay. And and guess what? What they did was they had dances. And so the men would come to the father and ask if permission for him to dance with their daughter. Hmm. But does that mean that the kids in that church didn't hurt? No. <laughs> 
I mean, you could see them in the basement. You could see them out in front of the church. Right, they were together. Right. They were together. And guess yeah. what? The parents were together too. Yeah. And so you can call it anything you want. Don't call it a youth group for heaven's sakes. And don't say that your children date. You can call it courting and you can have this series of permissions that are requested. <laughs> and you can be as as intentional and godly and careful about it as you want. I call it hurting. Yeah. And the fact is, every group of children at certain ages play together, talk together. That's how God intended it. Where do you think Joseph and Mary thought Jesus was when they traveled a good bit of time and didn't notice he wasn't there? I mean, do you do, do, do you think that they thought maybe he had like found a creek and stopped to play alone in the creek? No, he was with and anybody who's been a part of a large family knows that this happens in families. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to get together two weeks a year with the Taylors. They had 10 children. And so often there were 40 to 50 people in their house twice a year for a week. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? The people, the kids that were the same age, the grandkids, they played together. They came to each other's houses. They would take vacations with us. So, I know people are death on youth groups. I don't mean the youth group that you grew up in that was awful. Yeah. I'm talking about intentionally caring for our children together as high schoolers, dealing with the issues they have together. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean by a youth group and having, in our case, an ordained pastor who leads that process and a bunch of couples who help. You know, it seems to me that what you're really after is an acknowledgement of what is going to happen anyway. Like these are young kids who are becoming adults. They're checking out the opposite sex. They're doing everything that we have been talking about this whole episode. And having a youth group or something like it is just an acknowledgement on the part of the pastors and the parents of the church, of that little community, that this is going to happen and it's going to be messy, but it's a necessary part of their lives. And so we can't hide it. It's not going to go away just because we've hid it under a bushel. You know, I want to tell a story about the church Mary Lee and I grew up in. My dad shared the teaching of sort of the main uh, Sunday school class for adults. And there were a lot of Christian leaders in that class. They had a policy that covenant class was open to all ages. Mm. And there were times where we had uh, Sunday school teachers in high school that uh, some of us were not wanting to be there. And so we went over to my dad's class and it was very sweet the way that we were just treated as individuals in that class, like all the other people that were present. Huh. Okay, so that's a family-centered church. That's a family-centered Sunday school. The fact is, if you as parents are interesting, your children will want to be in your presence. But this concept of having rules and not calling it a youth group and, and, and rigidly requiring your children to only drink from your glass and to eat from your hand in high school, it, it's not going to work. And it's mm. not going to work because God has not set up the world that way. God has set up the world to break apart families so they will have their own families. And so here's an idea while they're still in your home in high school, start that process with other parents and other children in the church mm. where you can watch it closely and help that individuation and leaving and cleaving happen. 
Mm-hmm. That's what a youth group should do. Dave, Max, what do you think? Yeah, that's what I was, as listening to Lucas's question, I think that's exactly the point of this. You said earlier the word integrated, Tim. And when a homeschool uh, family-centered person says integrated, I think they always mean I'm not going to cede any authority to the church or anyone else. Hmm. And so when you when we are actually at the point with our children where they need, they're individuating, and we want to believe in the authority of the church, we can actually reach out with our children to the church and say, here, help us. And suddenly, integrated is real because our children are becoming integrated into adulthood, and they're doing it in a place that is— it's not safe, but it's it's not it's it's pleasantly disposed toward them. What is the yeah, word? It's benevolent. Okay, yeah, it's benevolent. It's benevolent. Mm-hmm. That you're giving your children to the a group of people that you should trust, who have authority in your life, that are benevolent toward your children mm-hmm. to help you in that process. Otherwise, it's what you were saying earlier, Tim. You're just grasping on and going to make sure. Well, when is when does this uh, integration of the father controlling everything stop? I do not enjoy having mothers and fathers say to me <laughs> that when they were little and were growing up, they saw evil, and they determined right then that that would never happen to their children. Mm-hmm. Because almost always that statement comes out of them when something just like that has happened to their children. And they're saying, that was my commitment, and I failed. And I, I remember one case involving incest where a mother called us from across the country and she said, I just found this was going on between my children. And in the process of diagnosing it, Mary Lee and I were on the phone and we asked a whole bunch of diagnostic questions and we didn't come up with anything. You know, your marriage, your husband, computers, all this stuff. And then finally, we asked her about her childhood. Hmm. And there it was. Her children were doing what she did when she was a child. Okay? Okay. Now, my point in saying this is she immediately said, but I have protected my children. I have not allowed them to play with the neighbors. I have been so scrupulously careful about their relationships with other kids in the church. Mm. I have kept them home. I have been protecting. And I said to her, well, let's say her name was Susan. Well, Susan, what you don't realize is that you and your sin are the real danger to your children. You were so focused on the danger outside the home that you thought Mm. that you were completely clean in how you led your children. Well, then we began to open it up, and there were a number of tells that she didn't take seriously because she was inured to the sin by her participation when she was a child. Mm. 
And so she thought, well, well, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't, you know. And so she was not a grizzly mama protecting her children at home. She just made sure that nobody else had any influence over her children. And so her children were completely vulnerable to her blindness, to her desensitization, to her own fears. Hmm. And this happens over and over again with our children. Dear mother and father, have faith that God's put you at a church with other people who can protect your children from you. We like to think we can protect our children from sin, and we forget that sin is in the heart of every man. As Christians, we should work hard to uncover our own sin and to know it. It's just part of knowing yourself. And knowing yourself is one of the best things you can do to prepare to help your teenager grow to know himself and to become an adult. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. Bye for now. Bye for now.